Actually, this is my favorite topic out of all of the topics this weekend. Kingdom peace, shalom, well-being, wholeness. That's what we're going to focus on today. Very familiar passage, Psalm 23. And uh, you probably notice that uh, in addition to my semi-sanctified stream of consciousness shtick, I also have a penchant for rhyme. Uh, it's just how, how I was wired. And, uh, and I do like um, to try to think in terms of a, a main idea that I can unpack, that I can flesh out. And the main idea that I would like to impress upon you this morning is that the shepherd's care produces peace. That's why I've titled this Kingdom Peace, because the shepherd's care produces peace. Now I want you to imagine today that you're in a Starbucks and you're sitting across the table from someone that is safe. Safe in the sense you feel you can really confide in them. If you tell them something in confidence, they will not violate your trust. And I would imagine that you would have the freedom to tell this individual that there are times when your private personal world is plagued by both fear and anxiety. Perhaps the issue this morning with you is finances. Too much money, not, or rather I had that reversed. <laughs> that, that, I'll have to save that for a uh, prosperity congregation. But uh, what I meant to say, we, we were talking last night, Howard and I, remember that movie uh, Ace Ventura, uh, Pet Detective, and Jim Carrey says, I have the opposite, what I really mean to say, disease. That's what I was just afflicted with. I have the opposite, what I really mean to say, disease. What I meant to say, not enough money, right? And too much month. That's where I was going with that. So perhaps the issue is finances. Maybe, just maybe, you're concerned about the future and where you're heading in life. I don't mean to be inappropriate here, but perhaps you have difficulty recalling the last time you enjoyed intimacy with your spouse. Perhaps, like me, you're concerned about your adult children. Perhaps you have genuine concerns about your aging parents. I'm right there with you. We all got stuff going on. Perhaps, and definitely this would fall under the category of private personal struggle, perhaps, just perhaps, and I'm over 30 years in pastoral ministry, I have run into this, you feel so beaten down that you, you just want to check out. You know, Dianu, enough already. I want to die. My friends, for those of us who trust Yeshua as our sin bearer, I think the question, practically speaking, doing kingdom life, real time, right now, I think the practical question is, how does God want me to respond to fear and anxiety in my life? I mean, hey, we ain't in the sweet by and by yet, correct? We're in the sucky here and now, all right? Henry told me I could use that word. It's from the Greek, sucketo, present active indicative. Kind of a continual act of things not being so good. Anyway, just a little grammatical shtick. Plays, plays well on a Sunday morning. Anyway, um, so really what I'm trying to say today, regardless of what's going on, the question is, 
How does God want me to respond to fear and anxiety in my life? That's really the the question I want us to keep front and center today. Now in Psalm 23, it's very timely for a number of reasons. We are part of a fallen race in a fallen place. Uh, As we've been saying, there is a very real sense where the kingdom is here, but not yet in the sense of complete realization. Uh, Henry and I were talking over breakfast this morning. We have a foretaste, a sneak preview (laughs) of coming attractions, you see. You know, when you go to the movies and have the the movie trailers, sneak previews of coming attractions. That's kind of what we got going on here right now. A foretaste of what is to come. It's kind of like the sealing work of the Spirit in our salvation, right? He's the down payment. He's the guarantee of what we'll one day receive in full. So, given all of that, again, how does God want us to respond to fear and anxiety in our lives? Well, certainly, as with all the great questions, Scripture gives us a definitive answer. If you haven't already, I invite you to open your Bibles up to Psalm 23. And what we want to do today is focus our attention on the ministries of Adonai, Yad, Yahweh, yod vav the most common name for God in the Hebrew Scriptures. We want to focus our attention on His ministries, the eternal self-existent One, Exodus 3.14, I am that I am, I will be what I will be. We want to have that understanding. How does He want us to respond? to fear and anxiety in our lives. And here's the thing. In Psalm 23, we learn from the example of David Melech, King David of Israel, that there is actually a God-honoring, constructive way to respond to fear and anxiety in our lives. Here's what's happening. Here's what's going on. You have a pasture. You have a banquet hall. And you have a temple. That's the imagery. That's the background in this passage. And so David recalls the many ministries of Yahweh to him in the dangers of life. And here's the conclusion that he comes to. He concludes that the persistent, loving protection of God will restore him to a place of full communion, intimacy with his Creator. And so, my friends, the constructive, God-honoring way that you and I respond to fear and anxiety in our lives is simply this. We need to trust Yahweh, trust Yeshua as the good and faithful shepherd and rejoice in His grace. That's your homework assignment (laughs) after this conference. That's my homework assignment, all right? That's the takeaway, big picture, that we can trust Him as the good and faithful shepherd and rejoice in His grace. You know, this whole business about doing kingdom life, real-time, real life, uh, it's actually fun. Like I said when I was doing Psalm 90, I don't want you to think, oh, gosh, i got another thing I'm just going to have to bite the bullet on, you know? No. This is fun. You don't have to have the mindset, oh, i got to suck it up, try harder. No. This is fun. we got the rest of our lives to get better at doing it. And as I said last night, repeatedly, we're playing for an audience of one. So, you know, 
Get in a quiet place. Find out what you're passionate about for the glory of God. And have fun with it. This is a theology of fun this morning. This will preach at Six Flags, you see. <laughs> Pursue God with all of your being. I'm preaching to myself as well. All right. So, again, having said that, if, if David is telling us that there is a constructive, God-honoring way for you and I to respond to fear and anxiety in our lives, and that is simply to trust God as the good and faithful shepherd, rejoice in His grace. I would be less than honest if I didn't follow that up with this. If David himself were behind this mini bima this morning, if David was closing out this conference instead of me, David Melech, King David of Israel, if David was preaching this morning, not only would there be a bigger crowd, not only that, but he would issue a disclaimer. He would qualify his statement by saying this, trusting Yahweh as the good and faithful shepherd and rejoicing in His grace will not necessarily resolve your financial issues. I don't want to do a bait and switch here with you. I want to shoot straight with you. All right? You, you tracking with me? Trusting Yahweh as the good and faithful shepherd, rejoicing in His grace, won't necessarily give you more bang for your buck. It won't necessarily receive your concerns about the future. It won't necessarily alleviate your concerns about your adult children or your aging parents. It won't necessarily increase the frequency of intimacy you enjoy with your spouse. But here's the deal. Here's what it will do. What trusting Yahweh as the good and faithful shepherd and rejoicing in His grace, what it will do is that it will give you a confidence, a stability that you did not have before concerning the way God is working in your life. In other words, He will convince you, as He did David, that it is He who is leading your life. It is He who is in control of all the details and circumstances. Remember Friday night when we began this conference? Do you remember how I defined this abstract concept of divine sovereignty? We said everything that happens, happens because God either directly causes it to happen or He consciously allows it to happen. And we said nothing, absolutely nothing, can rock your world unless Yahweh signs off on it first. And I said, I hope you believe that. I hope that is a genuine source of comfort, strength, and encouragement to you. And I said, you know, we often don't know why things play out the way that they do, but we can know the who behind our circumstances, right? And in this life, that's where ultimate comfort is found. But again, here's the deal. When we get a hold of that, when we believe, truly, He's the one who's leading, He's the one who's in control, has the final say about what comes into our life, that in turn leads to a more consistent experience of the unique quality of shalom that only He can give. What are we talking about? It's like Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul expressed. It's a peace which surpasses all comprehension. It goes beyond merely the cognitive. It's a peace which guards, protects our hearts and minds. It's a peace which is not dependent, not contingent upon ever-changing external circumstances. 
but rather a peace which is based upon never-changing internal spiritual realities. And here's the deal. If you and I have that kind of shalom, if you and I have that kind of peace, don't you think you're going to feel a little less stressed out when you have to deal with the, the yucky stuff of life, the surus, the difficulties, the trials that come our way? Absolutely. And if someone has that kind of shalom, that kind of peace, I don't think they'll get to the point where they feel so despondent, so beaten down, that, Dianu, enough already. I just want to check out. And who knows, maybe, just maybe, with that kind of peace, improvement can be experienced in the other areas of life that we mentioned as well. So again, the main idea we want to develop today from Psalm 23 the shepherd's care produces peace. You know, we do well to remember that David, while having a heart for God, also had feet of clay. Like us, he was tempted to get really worked up, to fret over his life on many occasions, not the least of which was when Saul was trying to take him out, which is significant because most likely that's the background, that's the context of this particular psalm. Yet, David matured. He overcame worry by trusting and rejoicing in God. Like I said, we got the rest of our lives to get better at doing that. From firsthand experience, David discovered that the shepherd's care produces peace. And so, my friends, as we this morning talk about David, this significant aspect of David's spiritual journey we see first that this peace is produced by the care of the shepherd's provision. The care of his provision. What does the text tell us about the nature of this provision? Well, in verse 1, it's depicted as a personal provision, right? Absolutely. Why? Because Yahweh, the eternal self-existent one, is a personal shepherd. Absolutely. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying he knew, not just cognitively, but experientially, he knew the eternal God of the universe was personal to him. And as the good shepherd, he was in control of the entirety of his life. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Wouldn't you like to have that? Take hold of that on a more regular basis? Of course. Of course we would. Now let's stop for a moment and reflect on the, the implications of this. This is really uh, quite profound. Not what I'm about to say, but the implications are profound. Hopefully I can do partial justice to it. Let's, let's, let's think on this for a moment. If we really, in an experiential sense, if we know the Lord as our personal shepherd, like David did, what does that mean? What, what, are, what, are, what is the significance of this Lord-Shepherd motif in the text? Let me, let me try to develop this a little bit. As shepherd, the Lord must do what? He must identify with His flock, right? As shepherd, the Lord must always be near His flock. As shepherd, the Lord must be willing to fight for His flock. As shepherd... The Lord must be willing, if necessary, to die for His flock. You see, the result of knowing Yahweh as personal shepherd, according to David, was the knowledge that he lacked nothing, absolutely nothing, 
in the big spiritual picture of things. But again, if David were up here instead of me, not only would we have a bigger crowd, but I think he'd also say this. He'd issue another disclaimer, another qualification. Properly understood, please catch this, properly understood, the affirmation that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is not about getting everything we want. Did you catch that? You know, this is not some heretical prosperity theology I'm trying to sell you today. We've been down that road, right? Name it, claim it, frame it. (laughs) You know, that's not what this is about. This is not some metaphysical sugar daddy that we've managed to tap into, all right? This is our holy, eternal Creator telling us through David that within the parameters, within the protective boundaries of God's sovereign will for my life, I shall not want. I'll have everything I need. Which takes us to our next point. Verse 2 tells us that in addition to the shepherd's care being a personal provision, it's also a perfect provision. It's a perfect provision. David says that a good shepherd does what? He leads his sheep to green pastures, quiet waters. Now, this imagery is very vivid. The green pastures probably refer to tender, young shoots, blades of grass that grow up in the morning and that are devoured by the wildlife of Israel. The quiet waters refers to a a wellspring of fresh water. The point simply being, the shepherd goes all out for his sheep. Nothing is held back. You know, he's going the distance here. He's sensitive to our needs. And so what David wants us to understand is that Yahweh does the same thing for his people. He goes the extra mile and then some. Now perhaps, just perhaps, at this juncture, we do well to ask ourselves if David's experience is truly our experience. In other words, do we seek God in the midst of our struggles? Do we find contentment in what he's providing? Listen to what Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul said, concerning Yahweh and what he has done for his people. He said, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us, will he not then along with him graciously give us all things? And of course, I'm referencing Romans 8.32. So we see here his provision is perfect. But not only that, not only that, in the first part of verse 3, we see that his provision also renews and it satisfies. It's a renewing and satisfying provision. Look at the phrase, he restores my soul. This is best understood as an extension of David's sheep-shepherd metaphor. Word picture, the green pastures, quiet waters provided by this kind of shepherd are for the physical nourishment and energy of the sheep. This shepherd literally revives the life of the sheep under his care. So the point is simply this. God's provision for David and for us accomplishes something very similar. And this is what I mean by that. When our spiritual needs are being met, when our physical needs are being met, what happens? Hey, we're renewed, are we not? We're satisfied. Our trust in God is strengthened. Our longings to receive blessings from His hand is fulfilled. Well, let me ask you another question. I got a lot of questions this morning. Hopefully you got some answers, but I got the questions. (laughs) What does being renewed 
and satisfied by the shepherd's provision look like in our lives in terms of our thinking and behavior patterns? In other words, how does all of this relate to doing kingdom life? The theme of this conference, right? Living Israel's future today. Well, let me throw this out. Again, perhaps, just perhaps, we might find that we're no longer numbing ourselves, anesthetizing ourselves with food or some other substance of choice in an effort to block out emotional pain. Now, back in the day, my substance of choice was not Prozac, but Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Now it's kale. What can I tell you? I'm weird, you know, if you haven't picked that up. That's how I roll presently. Perhaps, just being, being uh, reflective about this, perhaps, just perhaps, being renewed and satisfied by the shepherd's provision, perhaps that means we don't obsess about ourselves as much because we're enjoying the fullness of God's presence like never before. I already know what I'm going to put on my tombstone. He spent too much time worrying about himself. Really? <laughs> I could put that on my, on my grave, my tombstone. Spent way too much time worrying about myself. Maybe, just maybe, being renewed and satisfied by the shepherd's provision means we're no longer buying into illusions of security and significance found in the approval of others and the accomplishments of ourselves. Hello? It ain't about about. Take two. It ain't about us. It's about Him. All right? Maybe, just maybe, being renewed and satisfied by the shepherd's provision means we're no longer held captive by some insatiable lust for more things, i.e. material possession. And maybe being renewed and satisfied by the shepherd's provision means we've stopped morbidly looking at life as a collection of fleeting moments of pleasure connected to longer periods of pain, frustration, and sorrow. Brethren, Meshbukah, family, please hear me. It is reasonable to trust our faithful shepherd. Why? His provision is personal, it's perfect, it's renewing, and it satisfies. So, rather than worrying ourselves sick, let's trust God for the shalom that only He can provide. The shepherd's care produces peace. It's a peace that's produced by the care of His provision. So far, so good? All right. I learned to read body language. Somewhat. I'm an optimist. I'm saying the glass is half full today. You haven't drifted off to the land of Nod just yet. Okay, let's press on. Secondly, it's a peace which is also produced by the care of his guidance. Notice the manner in which he guides us. The text says he guides us in righteous paths. That's the latter part of verse 3. In other words, these are right and true paths. These are paths that are certain to lead to the places of rest and provision talked about in the preceding verse, verse 2. Now, we know in the life of David, God desired to lead him down righteous paths during his kingship. Yahweh enabled him to win great battles in his commission to possess the land promised to Israel. Well, perhaps you're saying, gee, John, that's swell for David. But, you know, what kind of paths does God want to lead me down today? That's easy to answer. In short, He wants to take you down a road which will result 
in greater, greater, and even greater righteousness. If we're going to do the kingdom, we've got to be more like the king in both character and conduct. And Paul expresses this truth in 1 Thessalonians when he says, God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, moral compromise, but rather the Lord's intention is to sanctify us entirely. That's the essence of our journey. And one day that will be fully realized. Our glorification. Forgive me for getting too mechanical, as Howard says, doctrinal, but uh, you know salvation is a threefold process, do you not? You're, you know what I mean by that? You know, justification. I've been delivered from sin's penalty. Sanctification. I'm currently being delivered from sin's power. I no longer have to do what I used to do because I'm no longer who I used to be, right? And then there's glorification, deliverance from sin's presence. Then there's procrastination. I put this message together last night. That's why I'm so tired right now. No, just kidding. Anyway, it's all good. But uh, where was I? My train of thought got derailed here. All right. So what does this mean? We're saying the Lord's intention is to sanctify us entirely. That's big picture, what's going on. What does this mean in terms of our response? I think what it means, very practically speaking, what this means is that we must keep short accounts with God by regularly making confession of sin. As we said, Friday sin, essentially acting out practical atheism, choosing to live as if he doesn't exist. You know, there may be some here today, some of you perhaps this morning, do not have the confidence before God that you would like to have, that you could have. I mean, here's the thing. You sincerely want to know Him as your personal shepherd. You trust Him as Savior, but you want to know Him more intimately, moment by moment, as shepherd. But perhaps, truth be told, you have a high tolerance for sin in your life. It goes unconfessed for long periods of time. Here's encouraging news. Yochanan, the Apostle John says, when we get out of denial, when we get real with God about who we are and what's really going on in our lives, He is faithful to both forgive and to cleanse. Confession is our spiritual reality check that enables the shepherd to continue leading us in righteous paths. That's the manner of His guidance. But let me ask you this. What is the reason for his guidance? It's found at the end of verse 3. He does it for the sake of his name. In other words, to say that a little differently, the Lord is committed to guiding you and I in righteous paths for the sake of the glory and reputation of his own name and honor. Right? I mean, think about it for a moment. What kind of reputation would a shepherd in the ancient Near East, earn if everyone knew that he was careless and irresponsible with his own sheep. In similar fashion, what kind of reputation would God earn for Himself if He were careless and irresponsible with those who belong to Him? I mean, there's a sense here in which God's name is on the line. My friend, He wants to use you. He wants to use me to show your unbelieving family and friends as well as your discouraged family and friends what the shalom of God 
looks like in real life, real time. Doing the kingdom, right? What this conference is all about. Through our demeanor, through our attitudes, through our actions, through our words, the message that He wants us to be putting out there is not social media ranting and raving. He wants us to demonstrate to people that the shepherd's care produces shalom. It produces peace. And that's a peace which is produced by the care of His guidance as He guides us. He guides His flock in righteous paths for the sake of His name. Now, in addition to providing and guiding, another aspect of shepherding in the ancient Near East was that of protection. This is a very vital component. Protection. Our peace is also produced by the care of His protection. This is the focus of verse 4. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and actually that can be better translated as valley of deep darkness, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, this, this Hebrew construction translated shadow of death, it's, it's a little problematic. I don't want to get too technical here. Henry's going to love this. Recent studies, he probably knows this already, recent studies in Ugaritic, right? A language of the Canaanite peoples from the early biblical period suggests that a better translation of this word may actually be valley of deep darkness rather than shadow of death. In any event, the term most likely refers to deep ravines with sharp cliffs. Okay, So it was not uncommon in Israel for a shepherd to have to travel through one of these dark ravines where danger was imminent or could happen at any moment. I mean, they had to deal with treacherous cliffs. They had to deal with animals hiding and waiting to pounce upon their prey. So what David is saying here is that it's not only potentially dangerous when a shepherd is moving his flock from one food source to another, but also in the living of life, you and I often travel through what appears to be dangerous circumstances. As we suggested earlier, David may be thinking of the attempts made on his life by Saul and others. But his point here is that we don't have to be overcome with fear. Why? Because the shepherd is with us. And he's able to ward off any danger, any danger with his rod and staff. Now again, with regard to application, if we say, and hopefully we do say, if we say that God is powerful, powerful enough that He has the stuff to protect us from danger, which again He is, does it necessarily follow, He's omnipotent, this is true, however, does it necessarily follow that God will shield us from every harmful circumstance? Obviously not. We've all processed enough life to know that. We know that from both the Word of God and our life experience. But here's the good news. This ability to protect, please catch this, this ability to protect does guarantee that nothing can separate us from the one who calls himself the Good Shepherd. Amen? Amen. God alone passes approval 
on what things are permitted to afflict us. And actually, in the big picture of things, our going through these dangerous experiences are ultimately for our good, His glory, and our deeper knowledge of Him. Like they say in bodybuilding, no pain, no gain, right? Let me see, by a show of hands this morning, how many of you have ever been involved in a dysfunctional relationship? Anybody? Now, okay, I know this is not a Pentecostal church, but we should all be raising our hands at this juncture. I get it, all right? My friend, from God's perspective, as far as His response to you is concerned, your relationship with Him is not dysfunctional. Regardless of what you may be going through right now, you need to know that He has not abandoned you. You know, He's not some hired hand, as it were, who really doesn't give a flying rip about your welfare. John's Gospel describes Him as the faithful shepherd. He has only permitted what in His wisdom is ultimately good for you. To say that another way, He will never allow permanent separation to come between you and Him. Bottom line, you can trust Him to protect you from everything He does not desire for your life. And so this is another reason why the shepherd's care produces peace. Again, a peace which is produced by the care of His protection. Well, lastly, we see that this is a peace which is produced by the care of His grace, His unmerited favor. Look at verses 5 and 6. Notice here that these verses indicate there's a shift, there's a transition. The imagery changes from that of a faithful shepherd to one of a gracious host. And we learn here that one of the reasons why you and I can rejoice in God's grace and it doesn't get any better than this. He spares no blessing. Did you catch that? He wants to bless us. What do we see in verse 5? Hey, a banquet is being thrown, right? This is party time. No expenses being spared for the invited guest. No extravagance is considered to be too excessive. When David says, my cup overflows, it conveys the idea of quality and abundance. You see, my friend, David knew the grace of God at a profoundly deep level. In fact, the implication in verse 5 is that this has been David's experience with the Lord up to this point in his life. And then verse 6 indicates David is confident that such grace and fellowship with God will continue for the entirety of his life. The duration of his life. That's his life story. Which leads us to the second reason we can rejoice in God's grace. Not only does He spare no blessing, but catch this, His grace also results in constant fellowship with Him. What does David say in verse 6? Surely, notice the air of confidence here, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life for the remainder of my sojourn on earth. Now, again, un momento, por favor. That's espanol, not ibrit. You know, you know what they call someone who... Uh, speaks three languages. They're trilingual, right? Someone who speaks two languages. They're bilingual. You know what they call someone who speaks one language? They're an American. You've heard that one. Okay. Tough room. What are you going to do? All right. Knocked him dead in Texas. Note to self. Don't do that in Ohio. All right. What can you say? All right. What does David say? Here's, what, here's what's going on. 
there's something of a paradox. On the one hand, it appears that David's enemies are following him all the days of his life. I mean, you, I try to put myself in David's shoes. I try to imagine myself living the life of David. Can you imagine the heartbreak? Can you begin to imagine the heartbreak of being estranged from your own son as David was estranged from his? I can't even begin to imagine that kind of pain. And yet, what does he say here? In the bigger picture of things, what's really going on is that goodness and mercy, God's chesed, His covenantal love and loyalty is following David all the days of his life. This is why David knows that he will hang in the house of the Lord as long as he lives. To say that another way, within a context of fear and anxiety, David envisions his life, the direction it will take as it is centered upon fellowship and communion with his God. That's why it's so critical that we make confession of sin. We don't do that for judicial reasons. The penalty for sin has been taken care of. We make confession to maintain intimacy of relationship, you see. That's, that's the key. You know, the grace of God can accomplish wonderful things in our lives. Truth be told, though, I think we tend to forget how gracious God has been to us in Messiah, forgiving our sin against Him, giving us His Ruach on a full-time, permanent basis to enable us to walk with Him. There's another psalm I wanted to share with you this morning. I won't attempt to explain it because it's not inspired, not divinely inspired. It was written by a fellow, a good friend of mine actually, who was going to seminary, pastoring a congregation, and he suffered a breakdown. And this is what he wrote. He said this, O Lord, my mind races and sleep escapes me. My body aches for rest but finds none. The sun of the morning seems misplaced. Its presence magnifies my fatigue. I am dazed and confused. Simple tasks take unusual effort. I plod through the day. I suspect something is wrong, but I don't know what. I become concerned while my imagination runs wild. I call out to You, Lord, but You seem distant. I'm unable to think clearly. I feel as if I'm slipping and falling, but I don't know where. I cry out to You, Lord, but my prayers are mechanical, ineffectual. Those around me know something is wrong. I feel exposed, vulnerable. I desperately need You, Lord. But You have hidden Your face. I long to connect with You, and yet I am a stranger. Take this confusion away, O Lord. Remove the suffocation of being disoriented. For I am engulfed in a pit of irrational anxiety. Place me again in the shelter that is higher than I, for I thirst for Your deliverance, O God. Have You abandoned me, O Lord? Am I being disciplined for my willful disobedience? Remove me from this valley of shadows, and I will glorify Your name with a renewed vigor. I will serve You with a rekindled sense of purpose. Lord, Death feels close at hand. The thought of facing you right now terrifies me. Return to me the joy of my salvation. Like water flowing down a drain, 
It's as if life is leaving my body. I cling to Yeshua, my Savior. For He is like a cover over that drain, preserving the water. My ultimate comfort is not knowing why, but knowing who. Yes, my Redeemer lives, and I will soon praise Him for His work of deliverance. The Lord has put a new song in my heart. He has brought me through a dark place. He has given me a hope that will encourage others. Praise the Lord, for He is the Son of Righteousness with healing in His wing. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Now you guys are smart. You already figured out I'm talking about myself, right? And here's the deal. The reason I can stand before you and not be ashamed to share that with you is because I've learned, as many of you have learned, the shepherd's care produces peace. It's a peace which is produced by the care of His provision. It's a personal, perfect, renewing, and satisfying provision. It's a peace which is produced by the care of His guidance. He guides us in righteous paths for the sake of His name. It's a peace which is produced by the care of His protection. And it's a peace which is produced by the care of His grace. A grace in which we can rejoice because He spares no blessing and because it results in constant fellowship with Him. So, going back to our original question. As I said, we got a lot of questions. Hopefully a few answers along the way. How does God want you and I to respond to fear and anxiety in our lives as we do kingdom life in a world that so desperately needs to see what kingdom life looks like? We should trust God as the faithful shepherd Rejoice in His grace towards us. And the reason we can trust God as the faithful shepherd and rejoice in His grace is because His matchless care, His matchless care produces shalom.